Buenos dias. My name is Quinn. I'm a senior interdisciplinary studies and public relations double major. My name is Kate Saltis. I'm an English writing and journalism double major, senior. This past January, 19 of us left Goshen for three months to Peru. Accompanied by our fearless leaders, Jane and Gerald Ross Richer, and their equally fearless kids, Sierra, Naomi, Teresa, and Jordan. We were their 10th group, and we each knew many others who had been there before us. And because of that, we all went down with some preconceived notions and ideas of what to expect. But we soon realized that no matter how prepared we thought we were, or how much we thought we knew, every day was full of unknown, revealing challenges and adventures that come from living in a foreign country. Most of you already know the general ST timeline, so we're just going to give a brief introduction to the places we inhabited, and then get on to the stories that represent our unique experiences in South America. For the study portion, <clears throat> instead of studying six weeks in one place, we first lived for three weeks in the rural mountains of Cusco before immersing ourselves in the country's capital of Lima, a city of more than nine million people. The divide between the very rich and the very poor is apparent, especially in Lima, showing the influence of westernization, but in Cusco, the old Incan traditions are alive and well. Many in the region still speak the ancient language of Quechua, and we even participated in a ceremony to Mother Earth, or Pachamama, with our guide, Ashama, creating an offering that contained gifts as random as animal crackers. It was difficult for some of us to leave the mountains for the big city of Lima, where summer gave us plenty of heat and excuses to walk the city. We spent time taking crowded buses and traffic, as you saw earlier, and eating casino cookies that are like Oreos, but a lot better. And giant two-course lunches for a mere $3, and experiencing the small amount of affluence in the Peruvian economy. It was very strange always to pass the Starbucks on our weekly walk to Jane and Gerald's house. The highlight for many of us was spending the night at our friend Alicia's, who helped us with the program, in what is known as the Conos of Lima. The barrios are poor neighborhoods where people from the mountains come to Lima to begin to build from the dust up, adding bricks to their houses as they're able. These places are eventually recognized as part of Lima, but it often takes years. It was eye-opening to see the contrast, but also wonderful to be welcomed into Alicia's home and to get to know her history. We ended with a flower and water fight in recognition of the Peruvian pranking festivities known as carnivales. For the service portion, we spent an overnight, uh, in the service portion, we were sent on overnight buses that would uh, that wound through steep mountain roads to get to our various service locations. Eleven went to the jungle, um, Emma and Mandy to Oxapampa, Joe and Jacob with a rural tribe in San Miguel, Phil and June to San Ramon, Alex and Jesse to Chanchamayo, and Courtney and Edgar and I lived in Ayacucho, while Martin lived two hours away in rural Yeracracay. Uh, while on service, we did everything from picking coffee, chopping down trees, plowing fields with bulls, to volunteering in clinics, orphanages, churches, and after-school programs. I think the tendency with Peru is to believe that because so many groups have been there, the experiences are all the same. It is sometimes referred to as the easy SST, 
Today, we want to tell you stories not boxed in by chronological order or subject to show that our experience, like every group's, was unique. We lived in a diesel-filled, western-influenced city, the hot jungle, the high mountains, with both the well-off and the very poor. We had scores of suitors who tried to woo us, or went to church 10 hours a day, or made adobe bricks with our feet. Most importantly, we met and formed friendships with people from a different part of the world, people who would become our families, and taught us what it meant to live and work and be fully present in a country not our own. We could have picked from a million different stories, but here are just a few of them. Vamos a Peru. Hello, I'm Liz Watson. I'm a junior elementary education and special education major. And I'm Phil Scott. I am a senior art education major. Between our study term in Cusco and the one in Lima, we went on what seemed like a massive field trip. We had a big tour bus and hopped from hostel to hostel. We went on hiking trips, visited museums, and even got to experience Machu Picchu. But right now, Phil and I want to tell you about a more meaningful part of that trip. One short weekend, we took a 10 or so hour bus ride that circled up a winding mountain to reach the little village of Colquermarca. Although the journey was full of nausea and some pretty rank smells, the beautiful scenery made up for it. The village was quiet and the houses were spread across the sprawling mountainside. Emma and I stayed with a young couple who had two playful little girls. The family was incredibly generous and gave us the main bedroom in their two-room house. We later found out that the family of four stayed in a small adjoining house with friends just several feet away. They needed to give us a place to sleep, but they didn't need to give over their home. The generosity was overwhelming. We arrived late Saturday night and hiked up the mountain to get to church the next morning. Town was bustling with the weekly market when we arrived. Vendors came from several hours away to sell products just once a week, so everyone came to stock up. It delayed the start of church by a couple hours, but no one seemed to notice. For the small church service, Gerald gave the sermon and we performed a skit on the Good Samaritan. But after the small and lively service, we were met with quite a surprise. So after all the jumping and spinning and praising the Lord that we were doing, a uh, few of us were fairly hungry and we were all very excited to see what were in the steaming mantas of the women that were uh, meeting us outside the church. And we were all pleasantly not surprised, but happy to see a good representation of the thousands of potatoes that Peru has to offer, thousands of different types. Um, so my favorite was definitely, there are these small little black potatoes, fun-sized, bite-sized potatoes, uh, that have been aged for a few years uh, for enhanced flavor purposes. Uh, a lot of people kind of thought they tasted like feet, but I'll tell you that if my feet tasted that good, I would be a very lucky man. Uh, so after gorging ourselves with potatoes and talking, and some people were dancing inside the church, um, we finally left the church mid-afternoon uh, and saw some people playing soccer in the nearby soccer field. Uh, and so we asked to join them. And like Liz said earlier, um, it's a very small town and very dispersed, too. Uh, I had to... Um, take like a motorcycle 45 minutes to get into the middle of the city. But on Sundays, everyone is downtown. 
Uh, and so we asked the people who were playing soccer if we could challenge them to a soccer game. And probably within 20 minutes of playing, we realized that half the town had joined us and were playing with us, and the other half were watching us. Uh, so that was a very fun experience. Um, and although the trip was only three days, I think, we made lots of memories um, that are all still very strong. Hi, I'm Emma Gehrig. I'm a senior here. I'm Andy Schleba. I'm a junior. Um, so Mandy and I were neighbors in a small jungle town called Oxapampa. We were actually like five feet apart, and I lived with, with what would technically be uh, Mandy's grandma and aunt. Um, so even though we weren't alone and all the struggles that come with that, uh, we found that with each other, we, we, we had the courage uh, to be more active in our families and in our community. And that gave both of us the opportunity to become very close to that culture, to each other, the people of Oxapampa and our families, and rather than feeling overwhelmed with the differences. Um, one of my personal favorite activities Mandy and I, and mainly Mandy, found to do was evening traditional dance lessons in a dirt alley. When I think of Peru, and service especially, I think of music and dancing and how much it means to people there. I absolutely love dancing and was thrilled to learn that my host sister Leslie was part of a dance group that met five nights a week at her cousin's house to learn the traditional dances of Peru. The second week of service, I asked to go with her. And each day after that, I looked forward to evening where I could be a part of the music and laughter that accompanied that beautiful dancing. I fell in love with the energy and passion that I felt while I was there. What struck me was that young people were spending their summer nights learning the traditions of their country, I knew right away that this was what I wanted to do my final project on. So over the weeks, I learned a little bit of Tobas, Tinkus, and Saya, which were the three dances that Leslie and her group were focusing on while I was there. Um, so we'd like to show you now a short video of that dancing. Um, and I would come to watch occasionally, and Mandy would often participate. So I don't really dance, um, and if you've ever seen me dance, it's more like to get my energy out than anything, so Mandy's a dancer. <laughs> In this particular video, the group is performing Tinkus, which <clears throat> comes from the mountain region of Peru and is a dance of thanksgiving for the earth and her resources. Hello, everybody. Um, while I was on service, unlike Emma and Mandy, I spoke English three times. I saw Jane and Gerald's family once. I saw Quinn randomly when he was visiting, you know, the rural part of Peru. And I saw, uh, like, a liberal um, hippies from Earlham that were at a bullfight. So I was by myself, and I was in a really remote village. And I had a service placement, and I was placed there because I had kind of volunteered to be put by myself, not really knowing what that meant. And I was put with a Pentecostal host family, and I was supposed to help teach English to the town, help out on the farm, and help out in the church. And this family had, had survived an incredible amount of violence at the hands of the Shining Path during the 80s, which was the terrorist group at the place, and had been um, moved, relocated, relocated again, and, and through this experience had really become very, very, very religious. My assignment, teaching English, wasn't actually that difficult. There was just about a dozen students ranging in age from 6 to 16, and I just had to figure out a way to engage them in three times a week. And that was a lot of fun. By contrast, helping out on the farm was a lot more uh, 
rigorous. I, I became intimately acquainted with chickens, goats, guinea pigs, machetes, pickaxes, and a pair of cantankerous bulls. Technology that... F <laughs> this was the nice one. <laughs> Technology uh, for the farmers that I was with, that um, people here in the States take for granted, is, is just a distant dream. They, they use these bulls to, to plow their land, and, and one day it was decided that these bulls didn't know how to plow in a straight line and that we needed to train them. So, what you do is you strap a yoke to the one bull's head, and then you hand me a rope that's attached to this rope, or attached to the yoke, and, and then you beat the bull with a stick, and it takes off as a dead run while I serve as an anchor to make sure that it walks in a straight line instead of just careening through the incredibly thorny pasture. So this process commenced and, and I'm getting pulled through this pasture and, and needless to say, I end up face down with some rug burns with my host dad standing over me and he, he, he helps me to my feet and asks if I'm okay and then he tells me some, some advice. Martin, we're supposed to be training the bulls. They're not supposed to be training us. And as difficult as some of that was, it wasn't actually as difficult as helping out in the church. You see, the first day I arrived, I was asked, have you ever given like any teachings in the church? And I was like, yeah, I've helped out at some kids camps and stuff. And they're like, oh, then you're qualified. <laughs> so, so they're like, um, we go through some singing and then it's time for, for the, the message. And they're like, do you wanna share a little bit of a, you know, like a testimony or some words? And I'm like, yeah, I can probably do that. So I end up talking for like 15 minutes about like, you know, that testimony that you save up to like tell people when they ask. And, and then after that, they, they just keep looking at me because they can tell that I'm done and they're like, is that it? You think you're done? And so I was like, no, I've got more. <laughs> and so I ended up speaking for about 30 minutes, three times a week for the whole time I was there. I was the, you know, adjunct preacher of sorts. And that was a good way to practice my Spanish, and this kind of makes me feel at home because while I was there, my sermons were being translated into Quechua, but not into sign language, so you're doing a good job. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so the last Sunday, I was preaching on Micah 6.8. What does the Lord, and, and you can't expect me to go as a preacher for five weeks and not get a little preachy on Convo on Monday morning, even if it is not chapel. So bear with me a little bit, you know, but I, I mean, I won't do any altar calls unless, unless the spirit moves. Um, so I'll, I'll do a little introduction. Like my, my congregation here, they consisted of um, subsistence farmers and uh, street vendors. And on the last Sunday, I was preaching on Micah 6.8. What does the Lord require of you, O people, but to do mercy, no, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? And after that, Hermana Salsa started, started tearing up. And I had never seen her ever explore any emotion. And she, she ended up walking up to the, to, the, to the table that we used as an altar and putting this little bag of coins on the table and I heard it clink. And I looked at it and, and she started apologizing for, for it not being very much and, and that, that was all she could save while I, while I was there to give me. And I just kind of was dumbfounded and stared at that little bag of money. 
And, and my host dad goes, Martin, take it. Take it. And I go, and I, and, I, and I take it and I don't look at it and I say, thank you so much. Um, perhaps this can help me be the first bit that I save to come back to Peru someday because I'm looking for some words to try to say thank you. I don't deserve this. And, and she was a street vendor. Her kids had never gone to college. She didn't own any land. Her husband had left her and it was just her against the world and, and she decided that, it was, that I was some worthy candidate to give money to. After hearing my response, Hermana Celsa came up to me as well and she handed me a bill. And I, didn't, and I just didn't even look at it this time, I just stuck it in my pocket and, and I went back and I'm like, thank you so much. And, and I end up in my room and I'm looking at this money and I'm, I'm going through it. And there's little coins, there's coins so small, I didn't even know they made coins that small in Peru, like two and a half centavos. It's, it, was, it was an incredible gesture. And I think the point here is that when you're, for me anyway, while I was preaching and whatnot, the scripture becomes alive in a whole new way, you see? Jesus, Jesus talked a little bit about plowing with bulls, for example. No one puts a hand on the plow and looks back. It's fit for the service of God. Now to us, maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense, but when you're getting drug around a pasture by a pair of bulls, you're like, oh, you have to focus on what you're doing. <laughs> this means something. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. And, and then Mark Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins with only a, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell to you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. And I think that those of us that went on Peruvian SST can tell you that we gave out of our wealth, but the folks gave back to us out of an incredible generosity that we can never, ever, ever reciprocate. Uh, I'm Isaac, I'm a senior journalism major. Um, how many of you have been on SST already? All right, some, good. Um, so uh, how many of you have like, been out of the country at least in some way or you're an international student or something? Anyway, okay so, okay, so many of us know that when you go to a different region of the world, the water changes, the bacteria changes, and your poop changes. So uh, <laughs> it becomes <laughs> diarrhea. So um, that's just something, <laughs> something you go through. Um, and lots of people, Lots of people uh, uh, have medicine, like you can take medicine. Unfortunately, in Peru, there was medicine that we could get at the local, the local corner shop. Um, it was only a few, it was only like a dollar, so it's kind of sketchy to take that medicine. But uh, anyway, and so um, many of us had diarrhea on our trip, and we were quickly healed with this medicine. However, um, I took the medicine, and my diarrhea came back for weeks and weeks and several more weeks. Uh, so while I was at service, uh, during the second six weeks of our, um, of our SST, um, I had a new, new host family, and uh, this new host family's house uh, was pretty small. Um, it was just a little more than an arm length wide, and um, uh, upstairs there was, there was a bathroom, fortunately, um, but the bathroom, uh, its walls didn't quite connect to the ceiling. 
So whenever there was something good happening in the kitchen, somebody's cooking something that smelled good in the kitchen, it wafted right into the bathroom. And whenever there was something happening in the bathroom, sounds, smells tra traveled right into the kitchen. So um, my host mom would ask me after every 10 minutes spent in the bathroom, Isaac, are you, are you okay? <laughs> I'd say, yeah, yeah, no, everything's fine, everything's fine, I swear, I swear. Um, and this happened for a week or so, and finally after, after this happened uh, too many times a day, uh, she said, okay, enough is enough, and she took me to this old senora who lived um, in the city, and um, I didn't, she never, she didn't tell me where she was taking me, um, she just took me to this old lady, but apparently she was a naturista, somebody who heals um, by natural ways. Um, so they start, they start speaking in Quechua, either so that I don't understand or so that they can communicate better, I'm not sure which. Um, and they, they, they're, they're doing things like this and like that, and those, <laughs> those motions, so I could get, I, I got the gist of what they were talking about. Um, and uh, the, the, old, the old senora, she, she motions me up to, her, up to her house, and so I went to her house, went in, she said, she said, um, Drillbit is going to play me in this little skit here. Um, she goes, okay. Um, siéntate, sit down. And then she said, okay, saque de tu polo, take off your shirt. So, <laughs> feeling very awkward. <laughs> so, feeling very awkward, I took off my shirt because I didn't know who this lady was. Didn't, my host mom is sitting right there watching me. And she says, okay, acuéstate, lay down. And she had this like eight foot long table that I laid down on. And so she, she, she turns around, she turns around with, a, with a, a little jar in her hands. And she goes, she shoves it in my face. She goes, do you know what this is? And I said, uh, coconut oil? And she goes, that's right. So she lathers some on her hands. She gets behind me and she starts pushing on my stomach with all her might. Just pushing, pushing, pushing. And I said, old lady, are you crazy? What are you doing? And, um... And she said, your stomach is out of position. And, well, she said, she said, no, 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 your stomach is, your stomach is out of position. And I said, I, are you sure? <laughs> and, and so, uh, you can sit down. Um, thanks. Uh, and so she said, yeah. And so, you know, like when you have gas and you like push on your stomach or you run or something, it makes that sound. Um, she said, she said, you hear that? I said, yeah. And I said, that, that's gas, right? And she goes, no, that's your stomach moving back into place. And I said, okay. Uh, and so I let her, I let her rub my stomach for 30 minutes. And she said, and she said, after the 30 minutes, she said, okay, now get up very slowly. Um, okay, now I want you to come back tomorrow. And if you still have diarrhea, you don't have to pay me. And I was thinking, I'm not coming back tomorrow and I'm not going to pay you. Um, so so uh, that, that night, um, I still had the same problems. The condition was not fixed. However, the next morning, I had my first normal poop in about five weeks. So all that to say, um, sometimes here we get really caught up in what science says. And, you know, this is scientifically proven to work. This has been tested on expert clinicians and this and that, science this. But sometimes all we really need is an old lady to rub our stomachs. Hi, my name is Jacob Yoder and I'm a, a senior history major. I was actually specifically asked not to talk about poop, but 
Honestly, that's unreasonable. Um, <laughs> I could not come up here and talk about the SSD experience without talking about it, simply because to do so would be an injustice to you and a complete misrepresentation of the SST experience. In fact, to talk about SST and not talk about poop would be like trying to explain New Testament theology without talking about Jesus. You know, it's, <laughs> it's skewing reality and borderline blasphemy. <laughs> so my poop story begins in a small village called San Miguel in the western edge of the Amazon rainforest. Joe and I were living um, in an indigenous Ashaninka community for our service assignment, teaching English, organizing a library, cutting grass, and um, harvesting platanos. Um, and though we lived in the same raised bungalow, shared the same extended host family, and ate the same super delicious starch on starch on starch meals, our experiences were extremely different. And what I mean by this is our pooping routines were polar opposites. Every day, every day for two weeks, Joe went about the day without even making an effort to release his rectal buildup. And I don't know to this day whether he was just stubborn or if he had worms just devouring his fecal waste or what his deal was exactly. Um, but my routine, on the other hand, was the exact opposite. Every day I would wake up around 7 o'clock and go poop out was probably an unhealthy amount of diarrhea. Um, and after eating breakfast and teaching English um, to a bunch of mischievous but darling little elementary kids, I hustled back to my hole in the ground toilet to poop some more. And then, after a delicious lunch of palm tree and rice, I again scurried off to what became something of a safe haven for me. You know, the evening I mostly took off to let my body recuperate so I could go hard again the next day. Um, but without fail, for three weeks straight, while Joe was dry like a Goshen College campus, I was consistently pooping three times a day. So one fateful day, however, I decided to bring a flashlight with me to assess my work over the past three weeks, a procedure any sane, seasoned SSTer should take. But before doing so, I decided to take my morning dump. And at this point, I'm a pro. You know, my pooping form is as immaculately flawless as it gets. I'm spread. I'm stable, I'm wide, relaxed. You got the ideal triple threat. And the product is a free-flowing stream of diarrhea pumped out at what for me was an unprecedented rate. <laughs> and at this point, I'm pretty excited to see my body of work over the past three weeks. But at the same time, I'm reasonably certain of what to expect. After all, the stench of pure success is a decent indicator. So after thoroughly cleaning myself, I take the flashlight and peer into the depths of the fly-infested chamber of darkness that is my toilet. And the ray of colors takes me by surprise. A medley of vibrant yellows and dull browns and splashes of greens dominate every corner of the pit. But then, out of the corner of my eye, I spot something. And it's yellow, but not like poop. And its fluffy uh, texture deeply contrasts with the rest of my fecal masterpiece. I look a little closer and it see it is most certainly a baby duckling freshly covered in my toxic diarrhea. <laughs> and so at this point, I realized the horrible act I had just committed. I drowned a fluffy baby duckling with my own excrement. I killed it, me. And this is a reality I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life. <laughs> Moments like these are sobering. They make you realize what is important in life, what matters most. 
Life is short. Venturing off on your own can be a blast, but it's the relationships you forge and the experiences you share with the people you love uh, that are irreplaceable and truly matter most at the end of the day, to quote Tavi. Um, do not take this life for granted, but because, you never but because you never know what pit you may fall into or what sort of crap falls on your head, suffocating you to death, um, this is the real world, a world only SST can show you. This is the power of SST. So, um, throughout this journey, our leaders, Jane and Gerald, you guys want to stand up for a second just to show everyone? Jane and Gerald, our leaders, and their, and their children, Jordan, Teresa, Naomi, and Sierra, um, meant the world to us and, and continue to mean a great deal to us now. While plans seemed to be going crazy and nothing seemed, nothing seemed to surprise or worry them, they were always easygoing and understanding. Most importantly, we all became great, great friends and had a blast with our kids. They cared about us deeply and led us on a journey we would never forget. They weren't afraid to take us on 10-mile hikes across mountainsides or lodge us in adobe huts in the middle of nowhere. They threw us into the fray, but were always there for us if we needed them. They have facilitated this trip professionally, yet we always had so much fun alongside them. We could never have asked for better leaders or better friends. When we were about to leave them and most of our fellow SSTers for six-week service portion, we wrote a song about Jane and Gerald to show our appreciation, and we performed it at our despedida, or goodbye party. Within the song, we make reference to the gods of the old Incan culture, Wiracocha and Pachamama, which is a very significant concept, for me at least, because Wiracocha and Pachamama are the Incas version of the Trinity, only a duality. Wiracocha is the creator god, god of the beginning, and Pachamama is the God who lives here on earth with the people and is the earth. Like our idea of the Holy Spirit. It showed me that even our ideas of spirituality in the end aren't so different. So this is our thank you to Jane and Gerald for such a great and amazing time. And it's our thanks to you for coming to our combo. After this song, feel free to leave. Oh,